all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. Hi, Crime Sound listeners. We're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with a story about a recent case that is still being investigated. If this is your first time listening to this true crime podcast, welcome. And for those of you who have been listening to us, thanks for being a part of the Crime Salad Squad. We have really been enjoying your support and engagement on social media with recent cases. Before we begin, we'd like to send a special thank you to our newest supporters on Patreon. We have two new patrons this week, Rebecca and Emily. Thank you so much for your support. You guys are amazing. You can be a helpful part of our podcast by sharing Crime Salad with a friend and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. This really helps us grow and helps spread the word about our show. So today's episode is very interesting, but so frustrating at the same time. I really can't wait to jump in and give you the details and hear what you guys think about the case. This episode covers the missing case of Jennifer Dulos. Jennifer disappeared last month on May 24th, 2019. She vanished, leaving her family of five kids behind, whose ages were 8 to 13. But one thing after another is leading to very suspicious activity. The last time Jennifer Dulos was ever seen, she was driving her 2017 Chevrolet Suburban in the small town of New Canaan, dropping off her kids at school the morning of May 24th. A few hours go by and her mother and her friends notice something is not normal. That day, she was scheduled for two appointments and didn't show up. Ten hours go by, and still, Jennifer hasn't returned any calls or texts from her friends or her mom. Around 7 p.m. that night, police receive a report that Jennifer Dulos is missing. So let's give you a little history of Jennifer. We think it will help you best understand what actually happened to her. Jennifer was a writer. She wrote blog posts regularly, screenplays, and also wrote a novel. She was also a journalist and a writer in New York City after earning a bachelor's degree from Brown University and a master's in writing from New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. Jennifer met a man named Fotis Dulos, who was also attending Brown University in 1990. They always seemed to cross paths a few times, which we found this information in one of Jennifer's blog posts from January 2012. In Jennifer's blog post, she writes, I remember before I was married and was single, my father said to me, it's someone you already know, meaning who I would marry. Who, who, I asked. When photos crossed my path twice at the airport in Colorado in 2003 and serendipity cast its spell, This man who I met my first week of college and befriended back then. The young man I've always liked. We had a special chemistry together, always something special and precious. And we were careful to be careful with one another until lightning finally struck. Sometimes the best in life is right at your doorstep. They say you can't find a man sitting on your couch. Well, I beg to differ. I was home, back in New York. 
and an email came to me. One year after re-meeting him, he was looking for me. He was living just two miles from me downtown. He wanted to get together. We celebrate the anniversary of the email, January 13th, 2004. So her blog post sounds like the love story everyone goes out to look for. But what's weird about the relationship is that he was currently married at this time. Otis was officially divorced from his wife, Hillary, on July 12, 2004. He married Jennifer on August 28, 2004, just weeks after the divorce. So quite a whirlwind of a romance, just from back and forth emails to a wedding. They must have had something very special. Between 2006 and 2010, together they had five children. Jennifer and Fotis together had twin boys, a twin boy and a girl, and a daughter who was the youngest of the five children. They were all between the ages of 8 and 13. And how adorable is that? And also having two sets of twins, what are the chances? In 2004, the same year they were married, Fotis planned on becoming a successful businessman in real estate. His new company quickly took off from there. His business, Four Group, were well known for their lusciously designed mansions in the Farmington Valley area. For nearly two decades, Dulos moved easily among those who could afford the multi-million dollar homes he built, and it turned out to be a big success. The million dollar homes that were built are just absolutely stunning. You have to take a look for yourself if you get some time. His quick success relied heavily on financial backing from his father-in-law. Nearly $10 million between 2004 and 2016. But in early 2017, those funds were cut off after his father-in-law died, squeezing all cash flow. The loss of that financing also came as a demand for high-end homes had weakened significantly. It was brought to the family's attention when payments were not being made, and soon Fotis owed $1.7 million to Jennifer's family. Gloria, Jennifer's mother, took Fotis to court as he defaulted on this loan. We won't go in too much deeper with this messy business side of things, but just know this is the kind of guy that Fotis is. As his financial problems unfolded around the same time as his marriage to Jennifer was falling apart, 2017 was really just a bad year for the Dulos family. Jennifer claimed she had discovered he was having an affair with an international businesswoman, Michelle Troconis, who so happens to be working for the Four Group doing social media. How livid would you be being that you're married for 13 years and have five young children with a man who conveniently gets a girlfriend? Jennifer was afraid of her safety and the physical safety and emotional well-being of their children. She had become concerned over Fotis recently buying a handgun that he kept in their house. She worried he might use it to harm her or the family. However, he said he wanted to keep the family safe, when really it seems just like he was losing control. Fotos had came up with the plan that he wanted to continue to be with Jennifer and the kids, but also live with his girlfriend Michelle along with her daughter. He wanted Michelle and her daughter to move in and attend a private school, the same one that their kids were attending. 
He also demanded that Jennifer and their children will live at their home every weekend during the summer so that everyone would be together. Which, this isn't very fair for Jennifer at all, or anyone for this matter. This had to have had made Jennifer furious. She claimed that her husband made references to disappearing to a ski resort where everyone wears masks every day and are indistinguishable from one another. Jennifer was worried about Michelle's connections that she may have, being that she worked at a ski resort. She thought this could be an escape route for her estranged husband. After finding out photos had a girlfriend, she wanted a divorce right away. However, her wanting a divorce triggered photos to be violent. In an affidavit supporting the custody that was filed in June 2017, Jennifer wrote, I'm afraid of my husband. I know that filing for a divorce and filing this motion will enrage him. I know he will retaliate by trying to harm me in some way. The day before they were to file for divorce, Jennifer left the family home with their five children. Photos called 911 saying he was worried about his wife and kids. You can hear his call in this recording. Let me say 911 location of your emergency. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm worried about my uh, wife and kids because they uh, they left to go to New York and I haven't uh, been able to get in touch with them. Okay, where they were going to New York. What's the license plate on the car? Excuse me? What's the license plate on the car? Uh, well, I have to get them for you. Okay, what's, what's the, who's the car registered to? It's uh, registered to my wife's name, Jennifer Dulos. Spell the last name for me. Uh, Dulos, D-U-L-O-S. Jennifer, G-A-E-N-N-I-F-E-R. Yes. Your hair date of birth? Uh, it's uh, September 27, 1968. And then um, they were driving with, uh, with our baby team. Can uh, you help car as well? Okay, what kind of, about? hold on, hold on. What kind of car were they driving? It was a Range Rover. Was it a Range Rover? Yep. Hold on, let's see. Uh, black, 2016 black Land Rover Range Rover? Yes. The 911 call is referenced in nearly 500 pages of divorce records. The records also mention how Fotis initially believed his wife left with the children for her parents' home. While filing for divorce, more than 400 motions full of back-and-forth allegations with each side accusing the other of ignoring court orders, threatening each other in front of the children, increasingly wild allegations of threats to kill the children or each other. There were other allegations between the two, like photos not giving the kids a proper bedtime, to Jennifer accusing him of being a psychopath who didn't care about the children, and photos saying that she is an unfit mother who should be locked away. So if we look at the overall dispute between the two, and don't get me wrong, both Jennifer and Fotis were livid with each other during their divorce filing. But who is really in the wrong? I mean, buying a handgun and not to mention he has a girlfriend. It sounds to me that this guy is a very selfish person who will do anything to get his way. And being that Jennifer is that fearful for her life and her children, it's really scary. But I did see an article that when Jennifer told the judge that she was scared for her and her children's safety, 
A protective order was actually issued in 2017, and Jennifer gained temporary emergency custody of the kids. Oh, that's really interesting. And I wonder how long the temporary emergency custody actually lasted. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash crime salad. All right. So now that you get a picture of how messy and toxic this divorce is, things with Fotis and Jennifer were just getting worse as the separation continued to drag out. And on May 24th of this year, Jennifer drops the kids off at school. During the day, she was to go to two doctor's appointments, but she never showed up. Jennifer's mom notices that she misses the appointments and knows this is not like her, and becomes worried because of the current situation with Fotis. Her friends can't get a hold of her either, and she's not answering texts or phone calls. Plus, with the messy divorce happening, I'm sure her friends and family were always just kind of keeping an eye on her. Police get a worried call around 7pm that Jennifer's gone missing. Where could she have gone? An hour and a half after she was reported missing, police find Jennifer's vehicle, a black 2017 Chevy Suburban near the entrance of Waverly Park. This was super suspicious, especially with the ongoing divorce dispute. Police of different agencies worked around the clock to find Jennifer, responding to hundreds of tips regarding her disappearance that same day. The day after Jennifer was reported missing, a nearby neighbor who lives near the New Cannon house where Jennifer was living separately with her kids said there was a loud metal banging sound in the early hours of the morning that were coming from the home which actually woke up many of the neighbors and caused all of the dogs in the neighborhood to start barking. Just to remind you, this was the day after Jennifer went missing. What on earth could someone be doing that early in the morning at the house of a woman who had just gone missing? A lot of people think this sound could have been photos dismembering Jennifer's body in the garage. Oh, that's so disturbing. But who else would have access to the house other than Jennifer? I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Fotis actually owned the house that she lived in through the four group. The police visit Jennifer's house when no one was home but the nanny. The police ask to enter the home when the nanny invites them in. When they walk into the home, they find multiple areas of human blood. Stains on the garage floor. There was blood on the car that was parked in the garage. There was also blood spatter and evidence of attempts to clean the crime scene. The arrest warrant said that the day after Jennifer Doulos was reported missing, 
Her strange husband, Photos Dulos, went to the New Canaan Police Department with his attorney. The next day, police take Photos' iPhone. They were able to work with the United States Marshals Service who provide cell phone data and call detail records and were able to tell his location based on the location of the cell phone towers his phone pinged. They pinged the locations of where Photos' cell phone was the night Jennifer went missing and the phone becomes a huge part of the search. On the night when Jennifer went missing, he left his house and drove to the farmhouse property that is owned by him and his business. His phone records show that he was at the farmhouse for two hours. Then he traveled back to his house. What on earth was he doing there for two hours the night Jennifer went missing? But that's not all. About an hour later, his phone shows that he traveled back to the farmhouse property and then back to his home. And then his phone pinged, showing that he traveled to numerous locations throughout the Hartford area. So tell me that's not suspicious or anything, that he did all this running around the night Jennifer went missing. According to his phone location, it basically tells the whole story. But it's hard to believe to this day that they have not found Jennifer. On our website, we'll have a picture of the map showing the location of the properties he went to. He definitely had a busy night. Police get the community involved. They reach out to local residents looking for any surveillance video people have. Police ask residents with home surveillance video systems to check their footage from Wednesday, May 22nd to Saturday, May 25th. More than 70 inquiries were received by police. The video footage shows a Caucasian male matching Fotis riding in a Ford pickup truck wearing a baseball cap. In the videos, he's seen disposing multiple garbage bags into garbage cans around the neighborhood. Police said that garbage dumped in the area during the time that Jennifer went missing had already been sent to the trash plant, but it hasn't been incinerated yet. However, it would have been shredded into small pieces, six inches or less in diameter. Meanwhile, the pickup truck's passenger, believed to be Michelle, appears to be leaning out of the truck as they make at least 30 stops to different garbage cans over a four-mile path. Some of the garbage that police were able to search led to some telling evidence. They found sponges and pieces of what looks to be Jennifer's clothing in the small bags that were dropped off. And later, police were able to test and confirm that these items contained Jennifer's blood. The main focus of the police search leads them to the local garbage facility. They're looking for anything that could possibly link them to the next step in the case. But they have a problem. Half of the garbage seemed to already be sent to the incinerator. Which means if that's the case, whatever evidence that would have been valuable is completely gone at this point. So I get that if the evidence made its way to the garbage facility, it could have been incinerated. But what if Fotis was able to dispose of Jennifer's body? Would we ever be able to know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think this could have happened. And if Fotis did dismember her like we think, I think he could have easily disposed of her piece by piece. But if they found a few pieces of her body, like a tooth or a fingernail... They could charge him with a murder though, right? Yeah, I mean, it's happened in other cases in the past. They only need to find some evidence from the body. 
So I guess at this point, we kind of just have to hope that if he did kill her, he messed up disposing of the body and, you know, police will find something soon. Police also find two Connecticut license plates that have been altered to cover up canceled plates from a vehicle that was previously owned by Fotis. The plates were found after surveillance footage captured Fotis dropping a FedEx mailer into a storm drain. Along with police in full search, they had brought on a yellow lab retriever who specializes in sniffing out electronics named Dora in an attempt to find Jennifer's phone. The park where Jennifer's car was found was searched, but nothing came up. Kind of makes me wonder if her car was left at the park to throw off the investigation and lead police to think maybe she went on a walk, got lost, or kidnapped. It is possible, but in that case, explain Jennifer's blood covering her house or the late night of garbage dumping, the suspicious license plates, the blood found in the garbage bags. What does all that mean? And for 13 years of marriage and five kids, how could he even do this? The suspicious evidence that police came across have resulted in the arrest of Fotis and his girlfriend, Michelle Trokonis. They both remained held on a $500,000 bond. A judge has ordered Fotis to have no contact with the children as long as he is arrested. Jennifer's mother, who is an 85-year-old widow, lives in New York and is quite wealthy herself. She filled her custody motion on Monday, the same day that Fotis and his girlfriend Michelle were arrested. The five children have been living with Jennifer's mom since their mom was reported missing on May 24th. Michelle's parents came up from Florida and bailed her out of jail, paying the full bail at $500,000. One thing that I find strange is the way that Fotis handled his bail. For someone as wealthy as this man owning a successful company and building million-dollar houses, claims he doesn't have $500,000 at all. So at court on June 6th, Fotis lawyer Norm Pattis requested in front of the judge to decrease the bond to $100,000, mentioning that Fotis is not a flight risk, meaning he won't flee the country because they'll be taking away his passports. However, on the other side of things, the prosecutor argued that the evidence that was found so far is linked to Fotis and that the bond should actually be increased to $850,000. After the trial, the judge kept his bond at $500,000. Some hours went by after this trial and Fotis Dulos made his bail of $500,000. He left the court without wearing handcuffs and got into the back of his Range Rover and most likely went back to his house in Farmington. Although he still can't see his kids whatsoever, they did take away his passports. He is not able to leave the state at all and he will continue to wear his monitoring device. When I first heard about photos posting the bail, it was almost surprising it seems like during the trial, his lawyer hinted that he didn't have any money. He even asked the judge if he would settle for less or if he can use the funds from his 401k. So was Fotis just trying to get a cheaper bail, even though obviously he had the money? This guy is so selfish to me and it's just so disturbing. I don't see one part of this case that really makes him innocent at all. At the same time, 
Jennifer is still missing, and we hope her family and her children find closure in this horrible missing case, and their family stays safe from any harm. Jennifer's family believes someone has information about Jennifer's disappearance or her whereabouts. The New Canaan Police Department has created a website, findjenniferdoulos.com, and a dedicated email address, findjenniferdoulos at newcanaanct.gov. If you have any information at all, no matter how small, please email or call the New Canaan Police tip line at 203-594-3544. So this concludes the recent disappearance of Jennifer Dulos. If you're interested in learning more about this case, you can find pictures and case updates on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com and also on our Instagram at crimesaladpodcast. Help support Crime Salad by leaving a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you again. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast, delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. Okay, Amy, tell us what the podcast is about. True Crime Recaps Promo Take One. It's a conversation about crime, just catching you up on what happened. Like if you're on the phone with a friend who swears a lot. It's like the Cliff Notes of murder. Cut. Cliff Notes doesn't want any part of your murder conversation. True Crime Recaps Promo Take Two. Um, True Crime Recaps. It's the most fun you can have talking about murder. No. Episodes are less than 30 minutes. It's bite-sized chunks of true crime. Gross. I like my true crime the way I like real life. Fast and funny. Say your name. I'm your host, Amy Townsend. Wrap it up. True Crime Recaps, it's the fastest way to get your true crime fix, but, you know, upbeat. New episodes released weekly. Subscribe to True Crime Recaps wherever you get your podcasts or visit truecrimerecaps.com. Thank you. All the blood, love, all the pain. 